Welcome to Fruitful and Multiplying, a podcast from the Jewish Fertility Foundation. I'm your host, Ilana Frank. The first commandment in the Bible is to be fruitful and multiply. But what if, due to infertility, that path isn't so straightforward? This is a podcast about the fertility path less traveled. From the inspiring and the inspired, and the cutting-edge technology and science that continues to evolve to make it all possible. All right, here we go. All right, I am excited to introduce you all today to the one and only Amy Klein, author of The Trying Game, Getting Through Fertility Treatment and Get Pregnant Without Losing Your Mind. It's based on her successful New York Times Fertility Diary column, in which she chronicled her journey to have a baby. This journey included 10 doctors, nine rounds of IVF, four miscarriages in three different countries. Amy writes about health, parenting, and reproductive rights for publications like the New York Times, the Washington Post, Business Insider, The Forward, the Jewish Post, and others. We are honored to have this opportunity to dig deep with Amy about her fertility journey, repeat miscarriages, baby envy, and all the feelings that come along with it. So Amy, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So to start, can you share a little bit about your infertility journey with our listeners? Sure. Um, When I started fertility treatment, I started a little bit backwards because I got pregnant right after my wedding and then I lost the pregnancy and then I got pregnant again and then I lost the pregnancy. So I didn't start going to a fertility doctor till after I had a couple of miscarriages. But in any case, it was back in 2011, 2012, and it's hard to believe, but nobody was talking about that then. There was no one. There were no Facebook groups. There were no Instagram influencers. There was no TikTok. Um, if you wanted to find any information about infertility, you'd have to search through these mommy boards where people were talking about their kids, and you'd find like a subgroup on infertility. Or Baby Center. Do you remember Baby Center? Yes. So hard to read and so hard. And um, the only places, it was either those boards or like Baby Center or scientific journals. And I've been a journalist for a long time. I worked for a lot of, you know, Jewish publications, The Forward, The Jerusalem Post, Haaretz, The Jewish Journal of Los Angeles. But I also have a background in health reporting. And that's what I was doing at the time. So I was seeing these very complex health-related articles in the medical journals that I could read, but I just thought to myself, there's nothing out there like a Cosmo for infertility. Like nobody was talking about it in a conversational way. And, you know, I started going to these fertility clinics in New York where women were like lined up down the block so they can make their seven o'clock appointments before going to the office. And I just thought as a journalist, wow, this is a crazy world I've stepped into And it was weird because like, you know, you ask some people and then you hear that everybody has some sort of story like, oh, it was taking me so long to conceive. Oh, I did an IUI. Oh, I had a miscarriage. But nobody was talking about it anywhere. And um, kind of funny story is that when I, I started sending in articles to the Times just because it was such a crazy story that I hadn't read about anywhere. And she said to me, she's like, why don't you write us a column about your experiences? And like, you'll write it for like three to six months. And then when you get pregnant, we'll just turn it into a pregnancy column. And I was okay, sure. Because, you know, at the time, since we didn't know anything about IVF, we just thought, 
IVF is just this way that you get a baby. And of course, in three to six months, I'll be pregnant. And that was, yes, the case for me, but I didn't have a baby. It took, you know, it took me so long. Uh, so we were all a little naive about finding out what was happening. And, you know, as you mentioned, it took me a long time. Um, and I had many miscarriages. And, um, you know, by the time our daughter was born in 2015, and then by the time I, um, you know, first two years of, you know, of breastfeeding and just dealing with the baby, you know, by that time it was like 2016, 2017. And at that point, a lot more people were talking about infertility and a lot more people were sharing their stories and there were more books about it. And there were more, um, there were Facebook groups where you could discuss it with people. There were just influencers starting to come out. Um, and you know, I had always thought I was going to do kind of like a book about my own story, but by the time I emerged in 2016, 17, I realized this is not only my own story. I wanted, I wanted to write a book that would help people with every aspect of infertility and not just my own story. Cause I haven't, you know, I'm not a single mother. I never had PCOS or endometriosis. I'm not gay. You know, there's so many things that I'm not. So I wanted to cover everything, but just give you this like A to Z handbook from like, Oh shoot. I'm going to have fertility trouble trouble. What am I going to do to how am I going to pay for this to, um, you know, what is even IVF or an IUI? And then like, you know, I make sure to have a doctor or a therapist and a patient in every chapter. So when I don't have my own story to tell, other people can tell their stories. But I just, it's the book that I wish that I had. And like right now, if you Google infertility, there's so much stuff out there. It's almost overwhelming. It's like too much, which was the opposite problem that I had. I'm probably used to now I feel like there's too much. I'm like, what, what do I listen to? What podcast, what, what blog, what person? So I just, you know, my book is like, it's divided into chapters. Like you could start in chapter 13 about religion, or you could start in chapter 16 about male factor infertility, or you could skip to the last chapter with like having a baby after you've been through IVF and miscarriage. And what's that like? Mm -hmm. I just wanted it to be like something less overwhelming because the process is so overwhelming and there's so much information out there. I just wanted people to like feel that they have something to read, to take with them, to know the questions to ask. You know, I don't have all the answers. Yeah, I appreciate that. And um, I'm sure it's still, you wrote this book when? It came out in 2020. Um, oh, so it's super duper relevant. Super duper relevant. And uh, some very funny thing is, you know, not funny, but you know, the science changes. You know, back when you and I might have started, uh, people were putting in four embryos at a time and not doing PGT. Mm-hmm. So the science does change, um, but the emotions don't really change that much. You know, you still have the, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to have fertility trouble. Like, what do I tell my boss? My best mm-hmm. friend wants me to throw me her baby shower. Um, you know, who, who do I talk to about this? So the science is going to change, but the beats of the emotional journey is still unfortunately very similar. So talk to me a little bit more about your emotions while you were going through your early losses. Yeah. So my emotional journey, it changed for each miscarriage. You know, in the beginning, I was just thinking, okay, at least I can get pregnant. That's great. Because, you know, the first time, um, we conceived like right after the wedding and 
I wouldn't have known I was pregnant unless I was like trying to get pregnant and I wasn't testing. And then like by the time I got to the doctor's office, so I just, in my head, it was like, oh, this is just a very late period. I wasn't very attached to the pregnancy. You know, I wasn't very attached to it. I was just like, okay, try again. And this was, I was with an OBGYN who, given my age, I was 41. She should have sent me straight to a specialist or a fertility clinic, but she was just like, try again. And then the second time that happened, that was like, probably the most devastating time because we had already seen the baby's heartbeat and it was a missed miscarriage. So that means that we just didn't, in 10 weeks, the baby had stopped growing and that was mm. really horrifying. And um, that was then when I realized that I had a problem, like, oh, this is a problem. I don't have a problem getting pregnant, which is what I was prepared for. Like it might take some time to get pregnant, but I realized I was having a problem staying pregnant um you know miscarriage is so hard for so many reasons and obviously there's a whole lot of different feelings about it you know as I said the first one I just wasn't really upset because I thought it was a miss you know like a late period and the second one we had seen the baby's heartbeat and that's just devastating because you have all your hopes and your dreams planned on this and you know a lot of times when people talk about miscarriage after they had children or in between children and they already know their happy ending but when you're going through it especially with repeat miscarriage and that's you know people who have had two or three losses you don't know that it's just going to be oh yeah I had you don't know that you're going to have a baby like that's the same thing with infertility with an extra twist um but aside from like you know the emotional loss of losing a baby and losing your hopes and losing your dreams you know, you're losing a lot of time in the, and time a lot of people don't have. I certainly didn't have it because, you know, you just had a 10 week pregnancy and you have to recover from the pregnancy and then there are complications. So they might take you out like three or four months from your next time and you don't always have three to four months. And then, you know, just another part of miscarriage is like, it's a physical and hormonal loss that I don't think a lot of people understand because your body's pregnant and you have all these happy HCG hormones and then it takes a big dive and you put on weight. So there's a lot of things going on, not only in terms of, you know, the emotional loss, but it's like a physical emptying out of your body and your hormones are really low. For me, you know, um, then I was told to go to IVF, which in retrospect was a mistake because the problem wasn't that I needed IVF. I needed extra help with carrying a baby. And I think that... Wait, can I ask you a question about who were you telling, were you telling people during this time period? Did they know you were pregnant and then had a loss? Secrets, not secrets? I wasn't telling a lot of people. Um, the first one, I was just telling people, like, I need a doctor recommendation. So I think like two or three people knew just because I was looking for a doctor, but it was five to six weeks and I just found that I was pregnant. And then the second one hadn't told most people because it was still eight to 10 weeks early. I hadn't really told that many people. And like, I remember we had about myths for that weekend. Like my husband, my new husband, remember this is like, a week after I got married, plus another month after, like the first one happened a week after our wedding. And then the next one, we took a month break. And then the next one happened after our honeymoon. And then it was eight to 10. So we had a bat mitzvah and I didn't want to tell anybody. So I wasn't telling anybody um, 
for those miscarriages. And I did write about it in my column at the Times, but it wasn't, I think a lot of people thought I was writing in real time, but it wasn't like, oh my God, I had a miscarriage and then I wrote it because it would have been a crazy person's writing, you know, like, because, Mm -hmm. but I did, you know, so I wasn't telling a lot of people, I did talk about it in the Times, but I talked about it a lot later. Um, And because by that point I was like, oh, I don't know how long my pregnancies are going to last. That made me never disclose pregnancies. And I think, I think probably a lot of people who go through infertility are not disclosing first trimester to a lot of people. Um, but people who have suffered losses really don't disclose, you know, my fifth pregnancy, our fifth pregnancy, which is our six and a half year old now. I don't think I told too many people till 14 weeks and I didn't really announce it till 20 weeks but I know a lot of people who don't announce it until the baby's born and that's a lot people say a lot of weird things I hope not today but people do say weird things about miscarriage like it wasn't meant to be or this is God's will or at least you can't get pregnant and none of them are very helpful um I think, you know, the most helpful thing to say is like, are you okay? I'm so sorry for your loss. Do you need any? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think so. I think it's, even if people have well intentions or meaning well, I think it's, yeah. I don't think that those comments actually really help. The most helpful thing that someone said to me is just that um, no one knows what to say. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, with my, with my second loss, the one where we saw the baby's heartbeat, um, I was so shocked. I was like, how can this happen? We saw the baby's heartbeat. I thought we were in the clear. And this woman who had been through the whole thing, she was just like, yeah, yeah. And I kind of understood from her expression, like, oh, okay, this is one of those things that happened. It kind of reminded me, since I was like newly married, it reminded me of like when I was dating and you stayed all night up with a guy and you're talking all night and then he doesn't call. And then the first time that happens to you, you're like, how could that be? You're like outraged. And then like a few years later, like, oh, okay. There's a thing called ghosting and people do it. So I think, um, you know, people, that was very helpful to me that people don't know the right thing to say. Um. But I think, you know, I think people are more sensitive today, hopefully. I think we're, all, we're doing a good job trying to teach people how they can be supportive. And right. giving. And I, I mean, in retrospect, am I sorry that I didn't tell anybody that I had had a miscarriage? I think um, one of the hardest things about miscarriage, you know, you asked me if I told people dealing with a miscarriage is the hardest thing to do because you have some decisions. So you don't even have time. You're going, you get like whiplash because you don't have time to decide what you're going to do because, um, you know, there are three ways to manage a miscarriage. If you're not, um, if you didn't bleed it out, which never happened to me, like I never bled. So you have some decisions to make. So you asked me, like, if I told anyone, I had that first weekend, like, just trying to decide what to do because my doctor, she was that same OBGYN and she wasn't very helpful. And she just offered me the three options for miscarriage. And that's, you know, one is called natural, natural miscarriage where you wait and you just wait for the miscarriage to happen. 
Um, the other is called is like um, medical management, which is you take a pill to force yourself to miscarry. And the third is medical management, where you get a DNC or a DNE, depending on how far along you are. Now, if you're a certain, if you're very far along, like you don't always have a choice. But I felt like I, you know, so I didn't even have time to deal with the emotional stuff because I had to figure out what I was going to do. And my advice to most women is if you're over a certain amount of weeks, like six or seven weeks, you should just have the procedure because research has shown that a lot of people end up having the procedure anyway. The other reason I always tell people is to get the procedure if they can is you should always test the the fetus to see if it was abnormal or not because you want that information because if it was a chromosomal abnormality that means it was indeed a bad bad egg which is what they were telling me that wasn't true Mm -hmm. um so i always you know it's so hard to be like oh my god miscarriage but the medical management is such a hard decision for a lot of people and a lot of women don't want to have the surgery because they're nervous about it but i have done I have done them all. I didn't do the pill because I read so many things about doing the pill, but I've done it. And I just say, you know, go for the surgery and have the um, baby, whatever level the fetus tested to know if it was a chromosome abnormality, because if it wasn't, then you have to go through a different round of type of testing or, or you need a different type of support. So Maybe that's too much information, but for people who have one or two miscarriages, always, if you can, I think you should always test the, what they call the products of conception and that's then helpful. you can figure it out. <clears throat> I think that's helpful. Talk to us a little bit, you know, you're newly married, going through all of this with your new husband. How did infertility affect your marriage or how did the miscarriages and losses affect your marriage? You know, it's funny. I talk about this in my book, like before they start, I, I talk about getting your emotional heart, getting your emotional house in order, which is, and one of those is regrets. And like, we all have regrets, you know? And when I, when my, when we were dating, my husband said, oh, why don't we just get pregnant? Like after three months. And I kind of considered it, um, you know, just background on me. I grew up Orthodox. My husband's a secular Israeli, and I just thought, oh, that would be kind of cool, you know, just get pregnant, fuck the system. Um, so, like, in that scenario, like, after I had the miscarriages, it was like, oh, what if I had tried to get pregnant? It would have been, like, a year and a half earlier. So, in my ideal scenario, it would have been like, oh, my God, I would have gotten pregnant a year and a half earlier, and we would have had a baby. Um, but what if I had gotten pregnant three months in and then started having repeat miscarriages and then I'm with this guy who I don't even know that well, would we even have been together? Which is to say, like, I kind of joked around. I was like, okay, well now you're stuck with me. Um, Mm -hmm. But I did want, you know, the reason that I did, I did want to wait. I didn't want to get pregnant right away um, because I wanted to wait till our relationship was like solid And I wasn't confident with three months that we had the solidity of that. So, you know, it took another year and change before we got married. But when I, you know, so it wasn't great for our marriage, but I was probably better than if we had been dating because I don't know that we would have ended up staying together. So I think you you had that security. I think that you said that, like, at least you had that security. I know you're joking, but I think that knowing he was locked in was probably somewhat reassuring 
Right. And I mean, infertility on a marriage is terrible in general. It definitely brings out like who your partner is. Um, you know, are they avoiders? Are they, you know, I had a friend who was like, my husband does all the research and he just presents me with what's doing and he does it. Like, that's not my husband. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you definitely learn about your partner, partnering style. And I always tell people like your husband might not be the one, he might not be the one that you're telling your egg count to and, um, you know, your fallopian tube loss to that might not be him. Because he's in it too, and it's his disappointments as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard and repeat miscarriage. I think, you know, a lot of men don't necessarily attach to a baby until the baby's born. I don't mean to be very stereotypical, but sometimes that happens. And I think that some men will attach to once you're pregnant, not maybe not going through this like scientific process. So I think the loss of a baby hits men hard and then they don't know how to act because it's like, it's your loss, but it's also their loss. So um, I wouldn't wish infertility on any couple. Um, But I just, I think it's good. It's good learning style. If you know, I'm not a silver lining person. I I would rather skip the whole thing and have that, you know, first or second pregnancy be the baby. But I did learn definitely stuff about, our planning styles and our styles in general. Like I'm the dive into everything for research and kind of present it to him and he's on board, you know, and he's interested, but he's not going to probably do the like 10 hours of research. <laughs> My husband just wanted to figure out how am I going to pay for this? Like right. Right. <laughs> you have like, his was like, I don't want to be an old dad. I don't want to. So he kept on giving me, um, like time frames of how many kids we could have within this time frame. Of course, like I got him to add on like another seven years. But um yeah, he was just mostly focused on like, okay, we're gonna do this. How much does it cost? Wow, um, okay. My yeah. husband was like, he was good at a long-term plan. Like, okay, we're gonna do three rounds of IVF in America. If it doesn't work out, then we're gonna go to Israel because we have insurance in Israel. You know, and what's the plan uh-huh. at every step? Like, how much, what are we going to do and how long? So he was more focused on the big picture. And I was like, focused on like every egg, you know, like yeah. ask me, ask me which retrieval I could tell you which, how many eggs I got, how many fertilized, you know? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, all right. So what are some things that you're grateful for today in regard to your family building journey? And then on the flip side, what are some of the things you're still struggling with? I'm super grateful for our daughter. She's amazing. Um, I guess I'm grateful that I just kept pushing, you know, like that I just was going through and just pushing. I don't, I don't know how much longer I would have had. I, I wasn't my last pregnancy. So that's my fifth pregnancy with my daughter. And, um, I was with a repeat miscarriage specialist. I was already researching the next thing I was going to do because I wasn't sure this, I didn't think it was going to work out for sure. So I'm mm-hmm. grateful. I, I thought I had like one more in me. I, ha- I had no idea how much I had in me. And I thought I was nearing the end of the line. Um, so mostly I'm grateful for our daughter. She's just like amazing. Um, I thought I would have another child, but I didn't. And I think it was just too much. Like I was too scared to try again. I mean, the timing wasn't great. The timing wasn't great because um, 
you know, at first I really wanted to just dive in right away because I'm a person who like does things right away or not. Like if you email me, I'll email you back or I probably won't ever email you again. <laughs> I know that's stupid uh-huh. the baby. Like if I don't do it right away, it doesn't get done. So I really wanted to do it right away and he didn't want to. And then by the time he was ready, I just had a book coming out and then there was COVID and that was like, I was thinking, I was still thinking about it until then. And I think that maybe I didn't, you know, when you're doing IVF and also miscarriages, whatever the journey is, it doesn't matter, miscarriage, endometriosis, PCOS, surrogacy, they're all hard journeys. And there's a lot of people who process them as they go through it and who have therapists and have support groups. And I just, that's not me. I'm like a PTSD person. I'm like, shove all the emotions away, run the whole marathon and then collapse at the marathon because your muscles hurt, you know? Yep. So I think um, that's me. And there, I, I don't necessarily recommend the way to do it, but that's all I could do. You know, I had to like just persevere and get through it and collapse at the end. And I think that's probably why I just, I never was able to, like start again I always thought I was going to do a second child but I just couldn't I guess I had too much unprocessed trauma you know like I mean I always said to myself you know I definitely I wanted two children um but it's not the same for me a second you know it's not the same um after you have one I don't have the same drive you know I wanted one for another one for her a sibling for her but um I always said, even before the journey, I'm not going to move heaven and earth. I'm going to try again. But I didn't actually end up trying again. For, there were so many reasons. I mean, my repeat miscarriage specialist doctor passed away, unfortunately, when she was two. Then there was COVID. There were so many things. Mm-hmm. But um, so that would probably be my main regret is that I didn't maybe process my trauma enough to be able to do it again. Wow. I guess my last question would be, if you had a message to those who are losing hope or feeling frustrated today, what would you say to them? I would tell them that it's hard to believe because it feels like it's forever, but this is just a finite period in your life. Like you're going to run out of time or money or something. So let's say it's a, you know, I had a three-year journey. If I would have known that it's bookended, um, then I maybe maybe I wouldn't feel so hopeless sometimes because if I could have visited myself, like if I could go back in time and just say, Amy, this is going to take you three and a half years. So just do whatever you can to get through those three and a half years. And you'll probably, you know, I know they always say you'll get the baby, you'll get your baby if you really want to. Um, I do think that's true you'll get, you know, you might not have the baby the way you thought you were going to have the baby. You might have to adopt, you might have to use donor eggs, you might have to use a surrogate. Um, but if you really want to, you will get there. Um, so it's only, it's not going to be forever. You know, it's just going to be a short, it's going to be a, an amount of time that feels like forever, but it's like three or four years of your life and you'll get there if you are open to the universe giving you a baby the way that you're supposed to have this baby. Awesome. Amy, thank you so much. I'm incredibly grateful for everything that you do, for your openness, for sharing it publicly, for writing books, um, helping really guide the way in the infertility space. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
we appreciate your time. I have a minute more. Would you like to okay. share anything else? No, no, no. You go. I just wanted to say that if anyone is experiencing repeat miscarriages or a miscarriage with a chromosomally normal baby, I really want them to think outside the box and see a specialist who will investigate it so you don't have to keep having miscarriages because it's a really hard thing to do. I think that's really, really important. You are so wise. Um, I, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Fruitful and Multiplying. And as always, reach out with more podcast ideas and feedback. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Jewish Fertility Foundation.